are starting our new series, and it's called The Rooted Life. The Rooted Life. I was kind of excited when we were talking about... Uh, we're talking about roots because you, you know already, or most of you know, so I was an English teacher for a long time. But going into college, I was, uh, I was debating whether I wanted to pursue education in English or in biology, because I thought I've always loved biology, always loved the sciences, and I just loved the way that the, the meticulous nature of creation, the way that things are created in if one little element from, from the universe down to the very smallest microscopic organism, if one little atom of that isn't in the right place, then it doesn't exist. And to me, that points to the, a grand design. That points to a creator. Things just don't happen. They're created. And if they're created, there's a creator. And I was so pumped about biology when I was... I sound like a really fun kid. You know, I was so pumped about biology and, uh, and English when I was a teenager. That's why I had no friends. Um, but I'm just kidding. I had two friends. It was great. So, uh, so anyway, I was, I was deciding whether or not to go and pursue teaching in English or in biology. And, uh, and English won out. So I, don't get, I didn't get as much to talk about like the wonders of creation but I did get to really reinforce for kids why an Oxford comma is important. And yeah, right? So anyway, we're talking, about, we're talking about roots and rootedness, finding depth in a shallow world. And so just really quickly, start out with a brief quiz. What are some of the things it takes for a plant to grow? Sun, good. Water. Soil. What else? Sunlight. And time, yes, okay, perfect. So we've got sunlight, we've got water, we've got good soil, we've got nutrients, we've got time. It takes all of those things for a plant to go from that one little, one little seed, you plant it in the ground, and, and it becomes something that produces something after it. It takes all of those things. You can't put a seed in a bad environment and expect for it to grow in a healthy way. Uh, it takes sunlight and water and nutrients. So it needs to be properly fed. You can't put a seed in a good environment and never give it water and never give it access to food and expect it to produce anything. It won't happen. You need all of those things. And I think maybe most importantly, once you've got good environment and you've got, uh, and you've got the right nutrients and the right water, you can't put a seed in the ground and expect tomorrow for it to produce after itself. It's just not going to happen. You need time. You need time. And so as we're talking about the rooted life, we need to kind of think of ourselves, and there's a lot of scriptures about this, about how like we are to the plants that God created. He, he talks about how we are, he's the vine, we are the branches. Um, he talks about we will be like, uh, like trees planted by the water. There's a lot of analogies that we can draw here from what plants do and how they live to who we are and and how he's made for us to live. And so all of these factors that we just talked about, all the factors that you mentioned about creating the right environment, giving it the right time, giving it the right nutrients and water, all of those need to be done consistently. Consistently. You can't just... Anybody in here ever ruined a garden? I have. Anybody else? Good. Yeah, we're proud. We know. Yeah, I've ruined... I'll ruin a garden any day. Yeah. I'm good at it. I've got a skill. Uh, so if you've ever ruined a garden like I have, you know that you can't just, it's not a set it and forget it kind of thing. 
right? You can't just plant the seed in the soil. I mean, you can do a really good job making your garden bed look really great, and then you plant that in there, and if you're not back out there regularly tending to it, it's not going to grow. It's going to, or it's going to grow in an unhealthy way. Uh, gardens and kids, those are the two things. You can't just neglect, you can't just leave, or bad things happen. It's so true. Um, so it requires consistency, but uh, to, the, to the point about it requiring time, we need to be consistent, but especially early on, it's important for us to be consistent even when we don't see anything happening. Because in the early stages of plant development, in the early stages of our spiritual development, most of what's happening isn't happening above the surface. Most of what's happening is happening below the surface. It's happening, in, in the case of a plant, it's happening below the soil. Roots are being established. You know, things are being done down there that we don't see, but we can't give up on it because if eventually something will happen above the surface and it'll produce fruit. The same with us. The same with us. Things are happening inside our hearts. Our minds are getting transformed. Our vision is getting transformed. Our expectations get transformed. And, and, our, and our hearts are at work changing before anything else different happens in the outward expression. So we can't give up on ourselves. We can't give up on other people either because there is always something happening beneath the surface and the roots are digging down in and without those roots diving down, you won't see any fruit produced out in, in the open, right? So we're not actually all that different than plants. Um, we, uh, we want our lives to be fruitful. We want, to, we want to produce something that will not only live on after us, produce others that are like us, but we want something that's going to be a blessing to someone else, something they can partake of that is going to be life and health to them. That's that's part of what this whole walking with the Lord thing is. It's about producing after ourselves. It's not about what we can garner. It's about what we can grow and release. I want to give us, this is where my nerdy potential, I didn't get to be a biology teacher, so I'm sorry, you have to do this now with me. So there's two different types of roots in the natural world. Uh, both are good, but there's clearly one that is more advantageous in a lot of ways. So there's two different types of root systems. There's the tap root, which is that, you know, a carrot, a radish, a bunch of other vegetables that you may or may not eat. Um, but those have a tap root. There's a lot of trees that have a tap root. And what a tap root is, it's one large main root that's very focused. And it digs down deep into the earth. And it anchors the plant into something a little bit more concrete than just the topsoil around it. Uh, and then other little bitty smaller roots come off of it that help, help grab on, but mainly that taproot is what is responsible for anchoring the plant and for providing uh, and storing water and nutrients. Um, there's, uh, in, in desert environments, there are certain plants that the taproot will grow down like 60, 70, 80 feet until it reaches water. It just keeps on going. Um, and, and so this is this is one way that plants can anchor themselves in and, and get what they need. Now, the other type is actually a less evolved type. Fibrous roots are the ones that, were, that evolved first. Um, tap roots are like root 2.0 or something. The fibrous root system is a lot of smaller tendril-like roots that tend to stay up near the surface and spread out in all directions. And they're kind of, it's kind of like when you're roller skating and your arms go like this because you think this is gonna help keep me up, right? 
um, fibrous roots are kind of like that. They're, they're trying desperately to keep the tree or the plant balanced and anchored. And they're looking desperately for water and nutrients, so they keep searching out in all directions. But they stay very shallow. And so there's a lot of ad advantages and benefits to having a taproot system. So taproots grow faster. Taproots are better at anchoring a plant into something. Taproots can absorb more water. They can also store that water for later, which is why taproots help plants survive during hard times, during times of drought. Not a lot of water going on up in the above, above the ground. It's okay. A plant with a taproot has the ground water stored inside. So there's a lot of advantages to having a taproot system. It's kind of the same for us. And if we think of ourselves as analogous to a plant, metaphorically, we are the plants. We're the, we're the branches. He is the vine. God is asking us to develop roots. And he's asking for us to develop a specific kind of root system it's a taproot system. In a taproot system, we have our main focus, the bulk of who we are beneath the surface is focused on diving into God, on digging deeper through the soil, through everything else, so that we can be anchored in one thing, anchored on one point. And from that one point, we get everything that we need to be able to grow above the surface. That's how God wants us to spiritually root ourselves, thinking of ourselves as a taproot kind of plant. Now, the world is encouraging the other type. And you can, you can see this, how in, in, our, in our modern culture, in our, in our world, everything seems to be like here for about five seconds, and then it's gone and replaced by something else. It's all, it's, this is the new thing. Everybody loves it. This is wonderful. This is how we, you know, find our identity. This is how, this is how we, we know who we are and this is what we love. And then like a month later, it's something else. And the news feed just keeps on going. Everything is immediate, right? But nothing is really permanent, it seems, around here. Everything is immediate. We can have anything we want, but nothing seems to last. And that's counter to the way God wants us to be rooted. So in a fiber system, this is, this is what we're sort of trained in, what we train to expect from the world is to remain at the surface, to grasp out in all directions, to find some sustenance, to find some refreshing, to find some source of life. Just stay right beneath the surface, stay shallow, and reach out as far as you can. The problem with the type of root system that the world is encouraging us to have is that it's completely dependent upon the surface level of its environment. Like with this poor plant over on the right, when that first top layer of soil goes, so goes the plant. It's got nothing left to hold on to. It's been holding on to everything in its immediate environment, desperately trying to get what it needs. When those things change, the plant has to move on or die or wilt or it affects it greatly. But you can see over here with the two gross vegetables, you can see... Uh, I'm just kidding. Carrots are lovely. I, don't, I honestly don't know what that far left vegetable is. Is it a turnip? Oh, I'm so impressed that you guys know that. Um, can you eat those? Oh, cool. We should try that. We should try that. Um, so, but with these other plants, that top layer of soil goes, they're anchored down in. They're not going anywhere. They have what they need to sustain a hard time. They have what they need to make it through the drought. And that's what, uh, that's what God is asking for us to do, is to focus our roots, digging into him, because he's what we need, 
And he will sustain us through those hard times. It can seem a little counterintuitive to everything that we're shown to try and be stationary, to try and dig down in to the Lord, to try and, try and develop our roots there. So we're going to read from Acts 2, 42 through 47. In order to really take a look at, well, how do you develop these tap roots? How do we develop this root system? I think we've got to look back and say, well, what did they do? Because whatever they did was good enough that it resulted in what we have now. It lasted, right? So let's go back and take a look at what they did. Acts 2, 42 through 47. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Um, that's an Oxford comma, by the way, just so you know. A, a deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and they shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. That sounds good, right? Sounds like, uh, it sounds like what we would want. We would want that kind of community that results in the, the Lord doing something within us that opens the community up to more people who can know him. That's what we would want. But that's not always what we do. Most of what we see and hear and most of what we feel and operate on in the 21st century is everything is immediate, nothing is really permanent. Let me just make sure that I'm good. But that's not the heart of the Father. And that's not the heart of Jesus. Living the way that we see in Acts 2 is not the norm for us. But these things that we're reading about in Acts 2, these are the practices that create a vibrant, powerful spiritual life in community. And these are the practices that create deep spiritual roots of the type that God is asking for us to make, okay? And, and so let's take a look really quickly at, at uh, Revelation 2, 3, and 4. This is John speaking to the church of Ephesus. Sometimes we get really focused on forward movement, on progressing, on doing more, on being more, on, on reaching more people, or... or, or, or getting our career online, or really dialing into achieving things. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. God wants us to build our lives upon him, line upon line, precept upon precept. He wants to lead us from glory to glory. But there's an important component that if we're focused on the task, we forget to include. And that's what John is pointing out to the church in Ephesus. You have persevered. You have endured hardships for name, my name and you have not grown weary. If he stops there, what a great thing for a church to hear. I mean, that's great. Wouldn't you love for God to say that to you? He's saying that to you, by the way. That is, that's, this is him, to you. You have persevered. Think about things that you've been, even in this past year, think about things that you personally have gone through. You have persevered. You have endured hardships for my name. You have not grown weary. But to the church in Ephesus, he, he adds this. Raising the bar just a little bit. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. 
Now, Scripture tells us that if we do great exploits, if we speak with the tongues of angels, if we, if we give all that we have to the poor, all of these things, but we do it without love, then it's like a clanging cymbal. It's just a gong that makes a big sound, but honestly, it doesn't really impact anyone positively. Have you ever loved the gong music? No. It's, it's like gong. Oh, stop it, please. It's a big sound, but it doesn't really do much for you, you know? It doesn't really move you. Uh, and that's what, that's what John is trying to say to the church in Ephesus, and it's what I believe God is trying to say to us today, is you've persevered, you've endured hardships for my name, you've not grown weary, yet to hold this against you, you have forsaken the love that you had at first. I'm not saying that you have forsaken the love that you had at first. That's what John is saying to Ephesus, but I am saying this is a cautionary tale for us. And as we're talking about spiritual rootedness, as we're talking about practices and doing things to get more rooted in the Lord, we can't lose the motivation of his love. We can't lose that aspect of it. We can't do, those, do all these practices apart from his love or else we're just banging a bunch of gongs and it's a sound and a fury signifying nothing, right? Uh, so, the Lord continues to speak to us about our connection to Him, our connection to one another. And what I want to do is go back to Acts 2:42 and just break it apart a little bit to see what they were doing. And you've all been through Acts 2:42 before. You know what they were doing, but I'm going to make you listen to me talk about it anyway. So thank you for showing up today. Uh, but because people aren't different now than they were in the first century church. We are 20 centuries removed from Acts chapter 2. 20 centuries, which is a lot of centuries, you know? If you had to think of a lot of centuries, 20 is a good number. It's a lot. It's a lot of years. And yet, our tendencies and our struggles that we have are the same as the tendencies and the struggles that they had. The, the way that we, the way that God is asking us to embrace him is the same as the way he was asking them to embrace him. So our struggles are the same. The way to overcome the struggles is the same. And, and so the practices that we need to employ to strengthen our roots have got to be the same. They're the same. And it is just as simple as what we're going to see here in Acts 2. So this is Acts 2.42, broken apart. This is just one verse. Five simple practices for strong roots. This is what they did. Number one, they devoted themselves, the scripture says. They devoted themselves. I know that we're all here, and most of us are here just like, doors open, we're here. That's amazing. That is a part of devotion. That's wonderful. But it's not the totality of what it means to be devoted. Devotion is a, is a big deal. Devotion is, it requires something of us, right? It's not just casual Christianity. It's not just, yeah, I know about God. Yeah, I love Jesus. And then going and living your life in a different way. Devotion, let's take a look at the definition of devotion. The state of being devoted, that's very helpful. Yeah. I love that. Man, I wish I could have been a part of like a dictionary writing team because then you get a state of being devoted. That's good. We're going to use that. Um, it's addiction. 
They were devoting themselves to the Lord. They were addicted to the Lord. They were addicted to his teaching. They were addicted to his presence. Uh, Eager inclination, strong attachment, love or affection, zeal, especially feelings toward God appropriately, appropriately expressed by acts of worship and devoutness. So what does it mean to be devoted? It means that it's not just contained within just our attendance on a Sunday morning. To be devoted is to be addicted to his presence, to be addicted to his word, to not be able to go a day without it. That's devotion. And got to be honest, I, I haven't been there every day. Some days I'm less devoted than other days. You're probably the same. Some days I'm less devoted than other days, but I need to keep at the forefront of my mind the need to be devoted to him. The need of devotion to the Lord. Relationship with Jesus and his church is not optional. Relationship is essential and it is central. They devoted themselves not only to the word but to one another. Relationship is central. It's not optional. If you are a believer, if you are a Christian, then you're signing up for a relationship. And if that freaks you out, it's okay. God will help you. God will take care of it. Most people are great. You know, try and gravitate towards them. It's fine. Um, okay, so they devoted themselves to point one. Point two, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. To the apostles' teaching. Um, there's a pastor I used to listen to and he would say, uh, he would quote that scripture and say, ye shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And he would say, it's not just the truth that sets you free. You see that? It's the truth you know that sets you free. Truth exists whether you know it or not. It's the truth you know that sets you free. And that and that's what we see here in Acts 2, 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, not just because they wanted to have some sort of concept of the teaching, not because they just wanted to hear the words or read the verse, but they wanted to know it. Biblically speaking, to know something is to be intimately connected with it in a way that produces offspring. That's what it means to know the truth, is to be so intimately connected with it that it results in something outside of your own life, outside of your own mind, outside of your own mental assent and agreement. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, not just to get the concepts, but so they could actively practice what was being taught, so they could put it into their lives and it would make a difference. So personal study, group study and discussion, active obedience and application of what the scriptures say and what Jesus and the Holy Spirit are revealing to your heart, active application of those things is essential for us. If we want to have these practices that establish roots, we need, we need to devote ourselves to the teaching of the apostles, the, what the scriptures say, the, the revelation of the Holy Spirit that comes into our heart, the, the, the word of encouragement or the, wor- the, the word of knowledge that somebody shares with us that's prompted by the Holy Spirit. We need to be willing to receive and to apply and to know that truth so that the truth that we know can set us free. The third thing, and the fellowship. They devoted themselves to, uh, to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. Sharing, contributing to one another, 
participating in each other's lives. That is what strengthens our roots. I mentioned this earlier. God never intended for you to walk with him alone, right? We are a body. You're not just like the pinky toe of God. You are the body of Christ. You can't live on your own. You're designed by his grand design to be connected to the body so that the way he's designed you to function makes sense and is in concert with the way he designed everybody else to function. And by that, he can move forward, right? You're designed to be a part of a fellowship. And, and this, this looks like community. This looks like the active expression of community, opening ourselves up to one another, being vulnerable with one another, sacrificing our pride and asking for help sometimes, confessing our, our faults to one another so that someone can pray for us and can help us, and being willing, if somebody confesses something to you, to pray for them, to support them, to lift them up. That is what it means to be in community, and that is what this church, what the church in Acts was devoted to. They were addicted to it, addicted to being there for one another, addicted to helping one another, addicted to lifting each other up and to praying for one another. It's a beautiful thing. And don't get me wrong, if you've been around this church any length of time, you've seen it. You've seen what it looks like for someone to reach out on, you know, on, a, on a text thread or someone to reach out in a, in, in a small group and, and say, hey, here, this thing happened. I could really use some prayer for this. And not only, like five minutes later, not only do they get prayer for it, but they get people saying, oh, I have this. Could that help if I gave you this? Could we do... People running to each other's side in this house. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing to see. People presenting the need and others rallying around them to say, oh, you have a need? Well, God gave me abundance in this, and I'd really like to sow that into you. Or, you, you feeling a little low? Let's go out for coffee. Let's go, I, let, let, let's just hang out. Let's just talk about it. Let me just help you. It's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. And we see it. If you've been around here long enough, you've seen it, you've experienced it. Maybe you've been one of those people who's able to offer that kind of fellowship, and that's what God intended for us. And the more it happens, the more addicted we get to it. The more addicted we get to it, and we look for it. And it's just, it, it's just a truth of life that you tend to get what you're looking for. You tend to see what you're looking for. It's confirmation bias. If we are looking and intentional about seeing the opportunity for God to use us to bless someone, then guess what? We're going to see the opportunity for God to use us to bless someone. If we're intent on seeing fellowship like this, then that's what we'll get. You tend to get what you expect. You tend to see what you expect. Uh, Hebrews 10.25 is about this. Let's see how inventive we can be in encouraging love and helping out, not avoiding worship together as some do, but spurring each other on, especially as we see the big day approaching. I love the Message Bible because he can use phrases like, the big day. It sounds like there's like balloons and like a tilt-a-whirl or something. The big day is coming. So, you know, it's, oh, oh, Eugene Peterson. Um, but spurring each other on, spurring each other on, not allowing your brothers and sisters in Christ to fall behind or to be forgotten or to feel neglected, but to look out and know that they're seen and reach out for them and bring them along. 
That's, that's the power of community. That's what this church in Acts had. That's what I see in this church. And it's a beautiful thing. And I just say, Lord, let it increase. Lord, let it be more and more and more. Point four, they were devoted to the breaking of bread. The breaking of bread, which is part of the reason why the donuts were here today. Right? It is the glorious sugary bread of God. Ah, man. So, uh, sharing of communion and of meals and of coffee, that's important too, bonds us together. It bonds us together. There is, I mean, if, if you've ever been out to dinner with someone and it's the very first time and you're not quite sure how it will go, you ever had that experience? Where you're like, you're coming up to the restaurant and you're like, is this going to be okay? Are we, I mean, we don't know them all that well. I hope I'm not weird. I hope they're not weird. You know, that kind of thing. Let me just say, sitting across from the table from one another, order queso. Just, just order some queso, just right at the start, and the party begins. Right there. So breaking of bread, and queso can, metaphorically, queso can be bread. Right? Sharing of meals together. When, when we get together to meet together, one of the most essential needs we have, which is eating, like, we're going to die without it. You get with somebody and eat with them. And it's amazing the kinds of things that can happen, the kinds of bonds that can be, uh, that can be established and deepened when not only do we share meals with one another, but when we share communion, the, the body and the blood of Jesus right. together. It bonds us together. Right. Uh, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, it talks about this this, uh, the routines and the practices that we have and how important it is. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. So impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. These commandments that he is giving us, these practices that he is giving us, he's asking us to make them our routines. We may have other things that are our routines right now. We may not be at the place where the church in Acts 2 was in our own personal life. We may not always get together, not only here, but in our homes. We may not be a part of a small group yet. We may not have opportunity or take opportunity to go share a meal with somebody. But what, what he's saying to us in Deuteronomy is, those things, those practices, make them your practices. Because we develop roots based on our routines. The things that we repeatedly, you've heard this before, you are what you repeatedly do. So the, the routines that we have, the practices that we have, those are what form our roots. And that's why this church in Acts chapter 2, their routines were breaking bread together, sharing the scriptures together, praying together. And these routines formed their roots in God and their roots in one another. Now, if you want to form a fibrous root system, you go life on your own. And you just reach out into your environment every which way. And there's nothing really secure. There's nothing really solid. The environment changes and you have to move on. But if we want to develop a rooted life, as God is asking us to, our routines 
are what develops our roots. So we have to ask, what are we practicing? And the very last thing, they devoted themselves to prayer. Intercession for the community, asking God to expand his kingdom is at the core of our identity. It really is. Prayer is our acknowledgement that God is sovereign and we are not. That is what all prayer boils down to. God is sovereign, we are not. The world will tell us that, no, you, it's about number one, you do what you think is right, follow your heart, do, you know, seek your own truth. And we see again and again and again, if you try to walk that way, you see where that leads you. That's why, and I was so excited last Wednesday, we had our prayer and worship night, and so many people got up, and, and the common theme was, first of all, we need to do this more often, you know, praying together, praying together. We, we interceded for one another, right? We, we prayed that God would give us wisdom. We asked him to open up our eyes. We just confessed and admitted to him how in need of him we are. Just got the pride right out of there and said, God, we need you. Apart from you, we can do nothing. And all of those prayers are the acknowledgement that, God, you're sovereign, and we are not. This is not my will to be done, but your will. Your will. And these practices that that the second chapter of Acts Church was practicing all soaked in prayer, intercession for the community, asking God to expand his kingdom. That is at the core of who we are. Now, we just broke apart one verse, Acts 2.42. And that just tells you what they did. Five really simple, but not always easy, things that they did. What'll that get you? Well, it takes four more verses to to fit it all in. What'll that get you? Well, let's read 43 through 47. A deep sense of awe came over them all. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. All the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and they shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So what are the results? So if if Acts 2.42 is digging down the roots, then Acts 2.43 through 47 are the fruit that it produces. It produces a deep sense of awe and reverence. God, you are sovereign. We are not. Teach us our place Teach us how to walk in you, not just, not just beside you or behind you. Teach us how to live our lives in you. So a deep sense of awe and wonder of God and who he is and what he, what he does and how he loves. An, an increase in not only the awareness, but the welcoming of signs and wonders. The Holy Spirit doing miraculous things in people. Not only salvations, but people being healed, people being delivered, people being set free people being taken out of bondage and brought into glorious light. And how did that happen? It happened because they got together and they read the scriptures and they prayed and they ate. Who knew queso had that kind of power? But it does. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's glory food. Um, 
It's signs and wonders, generosity and joy, people being so touched by what God had done for them that they said, I can't just hoard this all for myself. I've got to share it. Lord, show me a need so that I can help meet it. That's, that's, that doesn't happen in the natural world. That only happens by the power of the Holy Spirit. We are not that generous on our own. It only happens by God's heart moving in our heart and goodwill and salvations. And those, goodwill and salvations, are actually referring to people who weren't a part of the fellowship. They enjoyed goodwill of all the people. Why? Because the heart of God was being poured out through them. And Romans 2.4 says that it is the kindness of God that draws us to repentance. So if our practices together are focused on him, and our roots are being dug down into him, then we produce the fruit of kindness. We produce the fruit of the Spirit. Why? Because some believers got together and talked about the Lord and prayed and ate food. It's, I mean, it sounds ridiculous. It sounds too simple to be true, right? But the things that God is asking us to do, are, they're not complicated, they're simple. They're basic. They're life-giving. 